Yeah, I want to tell you about a, a car that I, I had when I was 16 years old. Um, and I, I had just gotten my license. And back where I'm from, I don't know how it is now for the, for the 16 year olds, young kids. You actually had to take a test, driving test, to learn how to drive. <laughs> but I, do we still do that? We do? Okay. Or do you just sign up for a license? I don't know. I had to parallel park. Anyway, so, but I was so excited I got this first car. And it, it had belonged to my, my mamaw. That was my grandmother. We called her mamaw. And it was uh, a thing of beauty to me. Uh, it was uh, something that I, I, I really would gaze upon it uh, from the window, from the inside of the house. Or when I was, and I would park it under the tree. Which turned out not to be a great idea, I, I realized later, but, but I thought the shade would help, you know. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it, it, what this car was, was a, a 1970 Volkswagen Beetle. Okay, so if you, I, I don't know if anybody in here has ever owned a Volkswagen. Anybody? Yes! Okay. I love Volkswagens. Uh, Volkswagens are kind of strange, though. They're kind of like, it's the, it's the best, worst car ever made. I guess you could say it the other way. It's the worst. No, no, it's the best. Because for me, I was 16. This was going to be my car. And I had already learned how to drive it. Because my dad had already taken me out on the dirt road out in West Texas and taught me how to drive a, you know, a standard shift, a stick shift on the floor. And, and, of course, a Volkswagen, is, it's, it's not like any other, I mean, uh, stick shift. Just because you've driven uh, a standard shift doesn't mean you can drive a Volkswagen standard shift. Because it takes a lot. Nothing's powered in this car. Like, power brakes, power steering, mm-mm. whatever strength you have, that's what turns the car. Power brakes, just push real hard. I mean, that's what, that's what the, this could, it had nothing was powered at all. Everything was a handle, a knob, a thing you pull, you know, whatever. And, and they didn't always work. But I had already learned how to drive this car, and I had snuck out, you know, and driven it down to the, the corner store and, and come back a few times and everything. Finally, I was 16, and I was given this car. My grandmother had given it to me. And the thing is, it was, you know, I had to work on it a little. It was, it was, it was oxidated. Uh, it, see, it didn't have like a fancy, you know, sparkly clear coat paint job. So it was just like paint. Like they just, you know, I, I don't know what kind of paint it is, but it doesn't have a clear coat over it. So it oxidizes like in the sun. It's kind of, it was bright yellow. It was canary yellow. And I don't know if it was really canary yellow, but that sounds better than just yellow. And, uh, or as they say out in West Texas, yellow. And it was starting to kind of turn white. You know, fading, and and this this bothered me a little. After I, because at first it was just beautiful, but then I wanted to I wanted to do something about it. So so I remember getting you know some rubbing compound and and, and it did. It actually it got the oxidation off. It started to sort of shine a little bit. It started to get a little bit glossy. You know, I could sort of see my image in the side. You know of it. And, and, and here it is, this little, you know, dinky car. If you've ever, I mean, all right, uh, I, see, I had to explain to my daughter what this actually was, because she only knows of the new Volkswagen bugs. Everybody in here does know what a, what a Volkswagen bug looks like, the old one, right? Does everybody, everybody does? Okay, I'm seeing nods of affirmation. That's good. 
I don't want to just talk about this and you don't know what it is. But now the thing is, no matter how much I polished it, you know, on the side, I even got like I didn't have the money for armor roll. So I just got like some baby oil and I put it on the top. So they were real shiny and kind of gross looking. And then on the inside of what, what little vinyl there was, there was a lot of metal on the inside of the car. You know, just metal. Uh, they hadn't gone to great lengths to make it real comfortable uh, and luxurious on the inside. So there's a little bit of, of vinyl. And I would, on that little strip, you know, I'd wipe the baby oil on, make it look shiny and everything. I learned not to do that on a steering wheel, though, because it's, it's kind of made of some hard material, so your hand just, it takes a long time to get that off. So anyway, I, <laughs> this car was beautiful to me, but, but I, I noticed something. That no matter how much I polished it, it couldn't, it, it didn't really, it couldn't fix it, because the, the thing had dings and dents in it, you know? Because they, they didn't really, when they, when, they, when they created, when they designed the Volkswagen, um, <clears throat> efficiency. Now, what, what's the word? For it? Uh, efficiency was in mind, and then how to make a car for the least amount of money possible. That's what they were thinking, you know, because that, that's really what it was made for. It was made to become, you know, this car that the, of the people, you know, that anyone could afford, you know, and uh, not for America, but in Germany, you know, and, that anyone could afford. And so they, they just, they just. Basically, this got like a piece of metal stuck it on there, a door. So they didn't like form it and do the things to design it so that it wouldn't dent or ding. So it did. You could just touch it and it'd go, brrr, you know, go in. Or if you thumped it too hard, there'd be a ding there, you know. So they were all over, wrinkles and pit. And, and no matter how much you wax it and shine it, in fact, the more you do that, the more you see the dings. And no matter how much baby oil I, I spread over the, the uh, you know, the the vinyl, there was always that big crack that it popped up and boom, you know, because it's real, like there's some tension, and so then when it cracks in the heat, then it pops up and and there's this huge valley, and you can see that ugly foam stuff under there, you know, and you can't, I mean, you, you know, electrical tape, nothing works, you know, so you just, you just have to, you just have to clean it up the way it is, and I, I, I remember that, that I started to learn that there were things about this Volkswagen that were wrong, <clears throat> that um, I was never going to be able to change. Uh, it, 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 had, it had some flaws. The smell, for instance. And when you got in the car, see, they had done something really neat. They put the engine in the back, and then they put the, the gas tank in the front of you. Like, and the trunk's in the front, too, so there's a gas tank under there. Well, that's neat. I mean, it's a neat idea. Only you can smell the gas. Because it's in front of you. And so there's no air conditioning. The air conditioning is the, is the little windshield that you kind of turn to the side and point the air that's going through the air and just channel it toward you. You know, and that's the air conditioning. And so, and then you open up the vents. It had vents. Well, the vents, they kind of collected air from the inside where the gas was kind of formed. You know, so you, you, you smell like gas when you get out of the car. It's kind of scary. Think about it. So that's kind of a little, and then of course the, the, the whatever the, the, the cushions were made of, some kind of straw or something, I don't know. I really think it may have been some kind of straw. It was something natural in there that you wouldn't think would be in a seat. In the heat, in the West Texas heat, the mixture of the gas, the old vinyl, the baby oil, 
<laughs> in the straw. It, it makes a smell. It's not, it's not a nice smell. And the other thing is, they decided when they designed this car that the heater, uh, here's how the heater would work. Um, it would collect the heat from the engine and channel it toward you. But the only problem is, the engine's behind you. So, and, and I, I don't know if there ever was a little fan, but if there was, it stopped working a long time ago. So basically, the air coming from the front of the car was supposed to push the hot air from the back of the car back up to you again, through, through a, a, some kind of you know, duct, and then it would end up on you, and theoretically, you would then become warm. Didn't work. It didn't work as a defroster either. So I had to have one of those little cans of that, you know, the instant snow ice melt, you know. And I would have to stop every half mile or so, get out and spray it, you know, get back in and drive, get out and spray it. I didn't care. I loved the car. I loved it. And uh, it was mine. But I noticed that there were some, some things about it that just couldn't be changed. There were some flaws. There were some things about the way it was uh, put together that no matter how much I tried to fix it, no matter how much I tried to change it, it just wasn't, it wasn't getting better. It still had a Volkswagen engine. It still had gas tank in the front. It still had door handles that didn't work. I mean, there, there was nothing really that, that I could do about that. So, Kevin, that's not very controversial. Tell us about your Volkswagen. That's weird. Well, let me read the website. This is, this is off our website, okay? This is, this is off our beliefs, uh, part of who we are. The fall and man's sin. Devastating tra tragedy. I was going to say travesty, but that's how about Devastating tragedy. We believe that man sinned against God and in turn destined the entire race to inherit sin. Upon this cosmic tragedy, mankind became alienated from God and totally unable to salvage his own lost state or even desire God. It is impossible for man to save himself, no matter how good, many good things he does. Because of this tragedy, we are dependent on God's grace to us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, our hero. Now, the main text we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to be flipping through, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. Okay, but the main two that I know we're going to have up here uh, is Romans 5.8. So, why don't you go ahead and put that up for me, Matt. Romans 5.8, and then the other one is going to be Romans 5.12. And we're going to go, so I'm just going to start with 5.8, uh, let you find that uh, in your Bible, or your phone, or <clears throat> the smart uh, machine that you have. I still have a dumb phone, so I don't have a smartphone. Uh, let's see. All right, Romans 5.8. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Alright. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. Now let's look at uh, 512. Just down a little bit. Here we go. Alright. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. 
So the controversy, where's the controversy? Well, I mean, it basically comes down to one little statement. You're not, the, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. Jeff doesn't have a good... I love his heart. But I'm, not, I'm just picking on Jeff. Jeff Lee. I love Jeff Lee. You're not a good person. We've got, to, we've got to start with that. Because if we start with anything else, we're going, we're going to be going in the wrong, wrong direction. Now, what do you mean you're not... You mean I'm not, I'm not, I'm not lovable? Well, actually, uh, you are. Let's look at 5.8 again. But God shows His love for us, it says. So I'm not saying that you can't be loved. I'm just saying you're not a good person. Well, I'm kind of a good person. No, you're not even kind of a good person. I'm good sometimes. No, you're not. You're not even good sometimes. Uh, here, let's get right into this. There's a couple of words that we're going to be using today. And they're real uh, cheerful, encouraging words. They're words like depravity. Depraved. <laughs> right? It's exciting. But I want to start with um, I want to start with a little quote from from the book Doctrine. That book has been extremely uh, helpful for, for me. I actually like the snake on the front. I know Luke said something about it. It makes me feel cool. I want to. It makes me want to throw on some snakeskin boots, <laughs> metal tips on on the on the front or whatever. But I, I want to talk about um, this thing called uh, uh, total dep- depravity. All right. Total depravity uh, is a little different from utter depravity. So I want to talk about what total depravity is. Now, utter depravity would mean that, uh, that, that we're as bad as we could possibly be all the time. Okay? That's, that would be utter depravity. But that's actually not, that's not the case. Okay? Because you can tell... Uh, you know, all you have to do is know some people to know that people are not as bad as they possibly could be all the time. See, that would be utter depravity. So we're not utterly depraved, but we're totally depraved. Uh, we are completely and totally depraved. Uh, and what that means is that every single part of us is affected negatively by sin. Every part. Every single part. Now, here's the part that gets kind of controversial because at first glance, that sounds like, oh, that's not that bad. Okay, so I, I, I'm totally depraved. That means that uh, the parts of me that are depraved are and affected by sin are totally that way. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is every single little part of you Every single little, every uh, desire, every thought, every uh, emotion, every feeling, every action, every part of you, every nut and bolt, every door handle, every, you know, steering wheel, every part of you, think about the car. It is affected by sin, every part of it. And it's negatively affected. So that means you can't think a thought unless it's affected negatively by sin. You can't do something. It is affected negatively by sin. The way that you think is affected negatively by sin. The, 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 the feelings that you feel, they are affected and marred by sin. 
That's what total depravity is. Well, you say, well, that sounds like utter depravity. No, it's, it's really different. It really is. Because if we were utterly depraved, I don't know. I don't think that it, that would mean that, that God would have removed his, his, his grace, His common grace off of us, and we, would have, we, we wouldn't survive. There's no way. We would survive with each other. So we're not utterly depraved. But every single part of us, even our bodies, our physical bodies, are affected negatively by sin. <clears throat> the totality, here's what it says uh, in Driscoll and Brashear's book, Doctrine. I like the way they say it because it's, it's nice and neat and compact. The totality of a person is pervasively affected by sin. And there is no aspect of their being not affected, negatively impacted by sin. Okay. So let, let's look at um, let's look at the different parts of us for a second. Let's look at our minds, how we think. Just think about this. Your best thinking. I heard a preacher say this once. I liked it. Your best thinking has gotten you where you are today. Congratulations. You have to think about that for a minute. If you're perfect, that's a good news for you, right? But no one in here is, so. Your very best thinking has gotten you where you are today. You think, apply that to the world. Now, man's best thinking has gotten this world where it is today. Where our country is today. That's where we've gotten it. We've applied our minds. We've really put our mind to it, didn't we? So it affects your mind. Because we know that the world isn't as it should be. Country isn't as it should be. We are not as we should be. You don't even have to believe in God to know that. How about uh, our will? What we want to do. <coughs> Things we want to do. You ever want to do something God doesn't want you to do? Has that ever happened? I mean, I think about this time when at school. Even now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a grown up. I should have learned how to be good by now. But here I'm at school and I open the... The little fridge, because at our school we have these uh, uh, these hidden refrigerators. You know, I shouldn't even say this because someone will hear it and I'll get in trouble. But it's it's contraband, right? Because you're not supposed to have them. They they suck. They they use the electricity and all that stuff. And um, so they're hidden in cabinets. You have to know where they are. You know, you walk into the room and it's the cabinet with the piece of tape or whatever. You open it and there's their fridge. You know, you get, I had my yogurt in there. I open it up and there's a there's a Pepsi in there. And it's not mine. And it's ice cold. Condensation glistening on the outside of the can. I want that Pepsi. I don't mean this was five years ago. I mean this is like last week. I wanted something. I wanted to do something God didn't want me to do. Because God has said that I should not steal. 
I was tempted to steal that Pepsi. I wanted to. I didn't do it. But if I did, would I have told you? I don't know. <laughs> I wanted that Pepsi. I want, I, our, my will wants to do things. God, and that's a real, that's a real nice little uh, illustration. Like That's as bad as my sin gets, guys. No. <laughs> I want to do things God doesn't want me to do. So do you. You probably wanted to do something this morning God didn't want you to do. Because your will is marred and affected negatively by sin. Every part of you. So we have emotions, how we feel. If you have children, then you understand. Have you ever, has your child ever uh, responded inappropriately, emotionally, to something you have said or done? I see Garrett smiling. That never happens to you, does it? I, one of my earliest memories is me laying and screaming on the, on the floor in my house as a kid in the hallway. And I remember why I was so upset. I mean, I'm throwing this huge temper tantrum. I was really, really mad because my mom had told me to put my socks on. <laughs> if you've had children, you're, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you have kids. It's not reasonable. They're not, it, it, it makes no sense. But, but, but we're born with... Our emotions being marred and negatively affected by sin. So I didn't. My I needed socks on. My mom knew what was good for me. She wanted me. She asked me to put my socks on. I didn't want to. I responded inappropriately, emotionally. What about your conscience? You ever made a bad moral decision based on your conscience? The answer is yes. Yes, you have. We do have a conscience. God has given us a conscience. He's built it into us. A sense of right and wrong. A sense of things that you should or should not do. Say or should not say. The only thing is, that is also negatively affected by sin. And not always reliable. The Bible says that our conscience can become seared. So that you don't feel... The sin when it when it pokes you or when you get near it. You don't feel the heat. So you grab that thing that's hot with the, with the hand that has no feeling in it. I don't know if you've ever seen Mr. Deeds, but he had that foot. It's one of my favorite movies. Remember the, the butler said the hideousness of that foot. Well, Hans Budget. All right, but anyway, it's he had like frostbite or something. His foot killed all the nerves, right? And it looks—I mean, it's like discolored and everything. It's weird looking. He can't feel anything, so he can throw something on it, stomp on it, and it doesn't—it doesn't hurt. That's what our consciences can be like. That's what the Bible teaches us. So we know that our conscience is not always reliable. It is negatively impacted by sin. <clears throat> our heart. Which is really all of those things. A heart is like the core of your being. It's every part of you. It is therefore completely, is totally, we are totally depraved. We are totally negatively affected by sin. Uh, And this includes everybody. Like every single one of us. 
So not only are we, we're totally depraved and it's totally everybody. Okay, there's nobody, no one's an exception. <clears throat> we have some great people that we've looked up to and thought, if, I mean, this person surely has, they have fewer flaws than me. They're not totally depraved. They have just a, a heart of gold. No, they're totally depraved. Even Mother Teresa was totally depraved. Total means total. It, it is uh, in us and it is everybody. I don't know if you got Romans 3, 10 through 18. Did you get that part? Okay. All right. I like this script. I like how Paul did it. Um, in Romans 3, 10 through 18, if you want to look at that, you can. Uh, I'm going to read it. And it's not going to be on the screen, but if you, can, you can look at it if you want to. I like how Paul does this. Paul gives a, he, he kind of goes into a little lecture, a little speech here. He says, <clears throat> it's kind of a little encouraging speech. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. In case you were like, wait, I'm thinking of somebody. No, he said, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they, be, they have become worthless. Think about that, worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. I mean, it's getting worse. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. <laughs> so that's everybody. He, he pretty much included everybody. That means everybody that's ever lived and everybody... Who is going to be born. Okay, that's everybody. He's not just talking about the people around him in his own circle. He's not just talking about his own generation. Yeah, well, okay. I get that, Kevin. That's not, I thought this was about controversy. That's no big deal. Even an atheist, even a person who doesn't believe in God, knows that there's something wrong with the human race. With, with, with the human condition. There's something wrong. Everybody knows that. It doesn't take a Christian to know that. Okay? So let's talk about a little more controversy then. And this is where it starts getting a little sticky. This is where it starts bothering me. I I, I mean, so far I'm I'm okay because I've I've been studying it and and I think I'm getting kind of cozy with it. You know, and I'm alright with with it so far. but, But now this part I don't like as much. See, uh, I, I like Mark Twain's quote. He said, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. <laughs> That's true of us, too. Inherited guilt. Now, uh, Grudem in, in Systematic Theology talks about inherited guilt. He basically just says, we're, we are counted guilty because of Adam's sin. Basically is what that is. We're, we are guilty. Now we don't like this. I don't like Kevin, this is ridiculous. Come on. Adam sinned, so, I, so I'm guilty for it? Yes. Yeah. 
You are. I am. Well, that's not fair. Well, yeah, actually it is. I mean, it, it, it is fair. We're, we've inherited the guilt. Now, there are a couple of ways that you could think of it. I mean, I mean one way is that, you know, just like a, a kid inherits... Uh, my, my son has inherited blonde hair from me, so I had blonde hair, uh, especially when I was younger. It was really white, blonde. And, and so my son has inherited that. Okay, and so, I mean, it's going to continue in the family. It's not going to go away, you know. The, the, the blonde hair, blue eyes are going to be in there somewhere forever. So, it's in there. Oh, thank you. Uh, but there's another way of thinking it. Think, thinking about it, and that is that God um, has imputed the guilt on us. Basically, He's counted it uh, as our guilt. And He can do that because He's God and He's completely just. Uh, he's completely right. And His ways are higher than our ways, and His wisdom is higher than our wisdom, and so He can do that. And so, uh, I, what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 51.5. Say, well, I want to see this in the Bible then, Kevin. Show it to me. Okay. Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, from the point of conception, he says. And the, in this context, by the way, because some people say, oh, Kevin, he's not, that, that means his mother sinned. She was a sinner, and so he was born of his mother, so he was born in sin. Like she must have, it must, maybe he was Ill, Ill, illegitimate. I've heard that before. That's actually not the case. I mean, in this, that we know of. I mean, in this context, he's talking about his personal sin. David has sinned big time, not just a little, huge. I mean, David did some pretty bad things, you know, adultery, murder. I was brought forth, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. So David tells us a truth there. That it starts when you're conceived. You, you are not born without it. You're born with it. Well, I don't like that, Kevin. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't like it either when I read that. Because I wanted to think that I could have been born... Um, you know, pretty good, and then I just made some bad choices. Or I made a lot of bad choices. And, and, so, and so, you know, everything's my... It's all, it's all on me. Well, no, I was born in sin. <clears throat> now, I want to look above it in, in, uh, in verse 4. This part's interesting. I, I used to skip over this, because I, I, I would always read that and say, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty clean cut, you know. I mean, uh, clear cut, clean cut. Uh, but it, up above it, it says, against you... Now listen to this. Against you, you only have I sinned. He's talking to, to God. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. But wait a minute. God, did He not sin against a human being? Yeah, He did. He sinned big time. Because if you kill somebody, that's a sin against a person. You've murdered someone. And against their family. And against anyone who loves you. You've committed a sin against someone. Commit adultery? Yeah, you've sinned against a human being. But he says here, David, what are you talking about? That's weird. He says you've only sinned against God? Yeah, because every time I sin against you or you sin against me, we're sinning against another sinner. So if I sin against Matt and, I don't know, 
I do something that bothers Matt. A lot. Let's say I get a camera and stick it this way. He hates it. So, or something like that. And I offend him. I have sinned against Matt. True. But I haven't sinned against Matt the same way I've sinned against a just and holy God. And sinless God. Instead, what I've done is I've sinned against another sinner. And so, if Matt sins against me, he, he again has just sinned against another sinner. And David points that out. He makes it really clear here that we're all sinners, basically. And so, he says to God, only you, against you have I, have I sinned. So, in Romans 5.8, can we go back to that again? I just want to kind of come back to I don't want to leave, forget what it says. That's why it says that. That's why it says, but God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were, we were sinners, He said. And in 12, He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, then it came to us. It's imputed to us. We we have the same, we share the guilt with Adam. Now, you say, well, that makes me a little more, I'm better than Adam then, because it's all Adam's fault. I mean, if he hadn't have sinned, if Adam hadn't messed up, then I, I, I'd be okay. You know, I'd be fine. But see, we have this inherited corruption too that Grudem talks about. This really helped me under, understand uh, a little, you know, the distinction here. Because there, there really is a difference between guilt and, and corruption. See, corruption was what was happening to my car. It was being corrupted. Uh, the, the, the sun had caused uh, the vinyl to split. It, the, the, the sun had caused the, the paint to oxidize. It was, it was being corrupted. See, And we inherit that corruption. And we have it from the time we're born. We have, we're born with a natural tendency to sin. Like we want to sin. And if you've ever had children, you know that it's true. It is unbelievable how soon you begin to see it in a child. So soon that it can't possibly have been taught to them. They had to be born with it. Now, the, the great uh, philosopher and theologian, uh, Bill Cosby, I like the way he d- describes it. Because in, in his great politically correct way, he calls it brain damage, right? He talks about kids. That's how they're born. He says to his, his boy, why did you hit your sister? And he just goes, I don't know. I don't do it as well as he does. That's the answer to everything. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. He's like, it's, it's, they're born like that. It's inherited corruption. Now, here's the, here's the fun part. I like to get into the argument. Now, I want to tell you, uh, I, these, these arguments, these are common arguments that I want to kind of get into a little bit against this whole idea. Uh, these are arguments that I came up with myself. Like I used to really, I, I really think these things in my mind. I'm always, I'm always because I'm, I'm, I've inherited corruption and because I, I, I tend to sin. I, my natural mind wants to resist the truth, even the truth of the Word of God. And so I'm, I'm already, I'm already thinking. Well, wait a minute. How could that be true? 
I mean, here's a, here's a, good, here's a common argument. The law of God didn't exist if, if, if the laws of God and the commands of God, if God just didn't tell us to do all these things, then sin wouldn't exist. Maybe a lot of non-Christians have this point of view. Because they're, they're like, what, you're calling me a sinner? You're saying I'm a sinner? If, you, if it wasn't for your rules, Christian, then I wouldn't be a sinner. <clears throat> then I wouldn't, you know, that, that wouldn't even be an issue. Because I don't even believe in your God. I believe in my own sort of God. A higher power or something. He doesn't care what I do. And the laws are made up by men and they have no real authority over me. And so therefore I can't at my essence and my core be a sinner. Let's see, the flaw with that is that, listen to this, that same person, being myself, because I did actually think that, would be that the same person will just come up and say, hey, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. Well, what do they mean? What are they talking about? If nobody... What do you mean you make mistakes? Well, what's the mistake? Who, who, what's it against? Well, it's against some kind of something you should have done right. And you didn't. You did it wrong. So th- th- that breaks down really, really fast. Nobody's perfect, someone will say. Basically, backing up the biblical view that we're born corrupt. That we're born not perfect. <clears throat> so sin is a lot more than just breaking commands. It's, it's a state of being that we're born into. Now, uh, sometimes Christians will say, well, I, I, actually, I remember hearing a guy once, and Luke was teaching a really good class, and, and he... Uh, uh, this guy raised his hand and uh, we were talking about this, this whole concept. And this guy raised his hand and said, I don't believe that. And, and, and basically he said, someone's always trying, he was mad at somebody, somebody in his family, I don't remember who. He's always telling my kids that they're sinners. They're not sinners. They haven't had time to sin yet. They were born, they're born blank slates. Yeah, we've all sinned, Kevin. But we're born blank slates. See, with the ability to recognize sin and possibly reject it upon reaching the age you know, of, count, of accountability, when we're old enough to really see the sin, understand it, and therefore try to reject it. But see, that's a, that's a problem. That's a big problem if we start thinking that. Because even though it's true that Jesus did live a sinless life and walked around this earth without sinning, if we say that we're born with the ability to do that, that puts us on the same playing field with Jesus. So we're, we're already running into some huge problems there. <laughs> because then conceivably, if you take that to its limit, conceivably there could be a person born who, born a blank slate, in a, in given the perfect environment and teaching and... and, and uh, uh, just the you know influences and things around them, socialization or whatever, that they could actually not sin because they're born a blank slate. They, it's it makes it possible then, but which puts us in the same playing field with Jesus, which bring, either brings Jesus down from deity a little bit, or it brings us up closer to deity. But instead. Our sin 
is completely, is totally depraved, which makes Jesus huge. And us little. That sounds like bad news at first, but that's actually really good news. Because that means Jesus can save us. That means we're really rescued. Because if Jesus isn't God, and we can do what He could do, then we're not rescued. I mean, we have, we have a serious problem then. So no, we're not born blank slates. That, doesn't, that, that, won't, that won't fly, it won't make sense. If you think into it far enough. It also doesn't make sense according to Scripture because Scripture tells us that we're not. Alright. Here's, here's one of my favorites. But what about babies? I used to, this is one of my favorite questions too. Well, what about babies? Are you, are you saying the baby's a sinner? Like, but it's a baby. And, and I understand that sometimes babies don't live to be old enough to... Uh, to make those conscious sin choices. Well, God's able to rescue a baby. I mean, dude, I mean, he's he's a big God. I mean, Gruden points out something that I thought was really interesting. I've never seen it before. He talked about John the Baptist. He says in Luke 1.15, For he will be great before the Lord. He says he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Even before he ever heard the gospel, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, rescued. So God, God can do that. So we don't really have to worry about... Like, babies are in good hands when they're with God. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to change our philosophy and make, change the Bible, make it fit our philosophy so that, because we're concerned about babies. God, if we're concerned about uh, an, a, a baby, then God is even more concerned. So I like to do this little test <clears throat> to see if you... Uh, <laughs> I did this with myself too. To see if you really believe this or not. Okay, Have you ever made a list of things that you have not done? Ever done that? You ever made a list of things you haven't done? I always wondered, what is a person who... I'm not trying to be insensitive, but let's say, what, what does a person do who actually has killed someone? What do they say in their list? I always wondered. Because, you know, that's what people always say. Well, at least I've never killed anybody. <laughs> well, but, but what if you have? Then what do you say? Well, at least I... It was... Quick and painless. I mean, I don't. I mean, we've all made that list. Like, here's. I haven't done these things, therefore I'm a pretty good person. If you've made that list, then you're tempted to think, yeah, I'm pretty good. The Bible says, no, you're not. Have you ever pointed out someone else's flaw in order to cover up your own, either in, in their face or not? <clears throat> well, you're in good company. I mean, that's what uh, that's what Adam did. He got blamed it and put it off on Eve, you know. Eve put it off on the snake, the serpent, put it off on the blamed it on him. Yeah. Are there verses in the Bible that you hate? That you don't like to read? You don't like them. I mean there are some for me. Let's see, if I, if I was really a, a good person at my core, then I would love everything I read in the Bible. It, it would just be, I would love to see it. But still to this day, when I read the Word of God, there's, there are things that I look at and I just simply don't like it. 
I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I wouldn't do it that way. So it's a good thing I'm not God. I probably wouldn't have done my son that way. When you confess sin, do you leave out the ugliest parts of it? Kind of like my Pepsi confession. That was a nice rosy confession, wasn't it? When you're confessing sin with someone, do you leave out the worst part? Do you go all the way up to sort of bad and then you leave out the ugliest, nastiest part, which is always there? And uh, do you believe that you would have murdered Jesus? Or actually, do you believe you did murder Jesus? Do you believe you killed Jesus? You, you, You crucified him. Do you believe that? In the the Bible, Peter stands up and tells the crowd, you did. And he's talking to people who weren't actually involved in it. But he still says, you did. This, This Jesus, you crucified. The answer is yes, you would have. And yes, you did. So I want to talk about us for a minute, legacy, our church in this, because this this sounds you know it sounds kind of broad in general, but how does it affect us you know as a community, as a as a church family here in the city? You know, do you believe you're on the same playing field as the people around you? You know, do you do you do you understand that you're just as much of a sinner as the person next to you? Or do you really feel like inside, if you search your heart, that you're, you're probably just a little better? Because, well, at least I haven't killed somebody. This guy next to me did, you know. Hopefully, I don't know. That may be true. Now, I'm not being insensitive if somebody's in here and they uh, got out of jail and they had killed somebody. So I'm always afraid when I say that I'm going to, that's actually going to be the case in here. So, um, we're going to meet people who have sinned big sins, like the big ones, the, the bad ones, you know? Like, what if David, King David, was sitting beside you? You would have the guy next to you who would be an adulterer and a murderer. Would you feel like you're better than, than he is? Do you want to give up on people? This is, this is going to affect us as a community. I mean, you will if you think you're a little better than they are. You'll, you'll feel like giving up on somebody. And you'll want somebody who's a little better than they are. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be wanting people to, to come up to you, your level. If, if, you, if you want to give up on people, then you may not realize that you're both sinners. To the same totality, to the same level, you're both sinners. Um, do you open up to anybody about your sin? Or do you hide it because you don't want them to know about it? You know, here at Legacy, we do take sin seriously. I mean, that, so that's going to be controversial. Some won't like that. Some people aren't going to like it. They're not going to like that we take sin seriously. Um, but we will, we will have grace. We have the grace of Jesus. We take that extremely seriously. We have the grace of God. We have the gospel. Some aren't going to like that. I mean, we're going to have both kinds of people in here. Some people aren't going to like that 
that, that we are extending the grace that Jesus has extended to us to them. And that we're point showing His grace for them. Even in their big bad sins. But some people are also not going to like the fact that we talk about sin a lot. And that we want to fight sin. And that we, and that we realize we were born we were born bad, basically. Some people aren't going to like that. And in Knoxville, as a city, uh, it, it, I've noticed something. Uh, and after this, we can start going into questions. But I, I, I just wanted to talk about the city for a second. I don't want to just talk about ourselves and, and, and legacy. But let's think about this city. There's something, there's an attitude in the city that I've noticed. When I listen to the radio and I, and I hear some of the old songs that are on the, on the, um, the local radio station, there was one I heard and it, it was called, I don't know, I'm my, I was just my father's son or something like that. And, uh, and I noticed that it really described the attitude that I hear a lot. Basically that um, I'm powerless to change what's been handed to me. Okay, I, I'm just and I'm hopeless. It's a sense of hopelessness. Now it doesn't. It's not apparent at first because people appear strong, appear like they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And, but there's a sense that well, I'm just my father's son. I'm just this way because my dad and then my dad was that way and his dad, and I'm just kind of stuck in this. And then, and there's another attitude too. It's sort of like sin is a family tradition. Uh, when we just sin, it's kind of like Kate Williams Jr. said, you know. When he was asked, evidently by someone, why does he drink and why does he roll smoke? If I get stoned and sing all night long, it's just a family tradition, he says. So he's just carrying on a family tradition. There, there really is an I've run into that attitude. There's an attitude like that. <clears throat> and then there's a false hope put into the fact that I was born a Christian. And we're going to run into that. And we're also going to run into the, the kid on the college campus who's left the family who was born a Christian. They were born a Christian. They were in that atmosphere. And then as soon as they leave and go to college, that's, they, then they don't have that anymore because it wasn't real. So they become spiritually disengaged immediately. And more than half, that happens to more than half of college students, people in their 20s. And so that was pretty sad, and, uh, and it sounded pretty bad, but is there good news? And uh, the answer is yes! Let me tell you about it. See, uh, Volkswagens, uh, they have these factories in Mexico, and, and they, so they still make them now there, I guess. And when they come out of the factory, they're nice and shiny and new. And so the good news is that... Uh, Yes, we can't polish ourselves up, and, and no, we can't fix that little crack in the, in, the, in the dash and all that stuff, but God makes us new. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He makes us completely new, just like one of those little Volkswagens coming off the assembly line in Mexico. Shiny and new, working the way it should, everything functioning right, and that's happening as we live, and then there's going to be a day when He comes back. And it's just going to be perfect. And, we're, and that sun is never going to oxidize our paint. And, uh, and it's not going to... Uh, nothing's going to break. And that's good news. That's the gospel. So all that terrible news just makes the good news that much better. So I want to... Uh, we're going we're gonna to answer some questions now.